All right. I suppose starting with our lead-in here, it would be, well, Mr. Wesley Chance. Welcome back, Mr. Wesley Chance and Miss Sarah Miller. Glad to have you all here. Hi. Good to be here. Good to be here. And I was, I was just about to start saying this is where we would start with the lead-in, but we don't yet have our name. We've been going by Harry Potter talk or Hagrid's Pockets or uh, uh, also all manner of interesting bits of alliteration thrown together. But as of now, as if we're like the, uh, the infant in our infancy of our project, uh, we don't even have a name yet. <laughs> we're formless, unformed. Maybe we should have a different name every time. Ah, I like ah, that. Yeah. Birdie bots like every flavor <laughs> conversation. <laughs> that, that would be awesome. That, that's pretty cool. And that's interesting because that just kind of shows, I guess, how a natural category form, right? That it, every time we converse with each other, we're different people and we're bringing different information and we're talking about different segments of the book. But we're also bringing sure. along that which is past that we've shared together with the book. We have some common. Uh, lodestone. It's like this ship of Theseus, I imagine. <laughs> that even though the ship remains the same, no piece of it and no crew member is the same at the end as in the beginning. I oh, wonder yeah. to what extent that, that, that expresses that we, working through this book together, are like fellow travelers in the night. Um, <laughs> and so I, I like the idea that every, every show in some way will be connected, but also episodic its own sort of sure yeah um standalone yeah its own flavor right and i i think that <laughs> that's that's kind of what makes the epic the king of poems just to start like that because it's made up of episodes that are sort of strung together and that maybe that's mm -hmm. what a good life is and maybe that's what this series is and maybe that's what we're all about to share together like a a box of divine birdie bots <laughs> <laughs> conversations <laughs> let's just make sure this one doesn't taste like tripe or whatever <laughs> yeah Sprouts. yeah we'll, yeah, we'll have, maybe we'll have to decide at the end and as our listenership grows <laughs> they can they can vote on what the flavor of our conversation was <laughs> it's like mm, that was a little bitter that one, that one <laughs> licorice licorice uh, like that one that one has a nice wood pine <laughs> You know, actually, there are a couple things we could do as well. I know, Sarah, you keep mentioning wonderful things we can do, like bring passages into this that we like and uh, in incantations. <laughs> we can also integrate some some work that we do on the Pottermore side as well, which is I found is a very fun site to look around. You can you can have a you can get a wand. You can be sorted. You can be sorted. A, you can show what your Patronus is, and so that might be a kind of a cool. <laughs> additional uh, uh extra learning tertiary learning uh to use while we're uh while we're exploring this uh this world but i i guess to get down to the world we were going to talk about chapters six and seven today were, were we not yeah yeah chapters six and seven um the journey from platform nine and three quarters and the sorting hat very good and i gotta say sarah i really love the fact that i can hear you turn the pages on oh, this really? video Oh, it adds sorry. a, well, it adds, it adds. I think the perfect element to what we're doing. Like we're three teachers sitting in front of our books, talking to each other, and that's a, uh, that's a. Uh, I would add that sound in if we didn't have it natural. <laughs> Love it. 
All right. Yeah. So, so it looks like uh, the second that Uncle Vernon finds out that Harry is going to this platform nine and three quarters, which he knows not to exist, knows not to exist. He all of a sudden uh, gets this mischievous streak in him, this, this desire wickedly to help Harry get close to what I suppose he perceives is going to be a major failure and perhaps very, very, very mean-spirited trick on him. And so that seems to be what gives him the impetus to actually help Harry and take him down to London, even though he claims that he had prior business there as well. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Does he have to go get the pigtail removed from Dudley? Uh, yes. Yeah. They have to go to the hospital. <laughs> and so I was wondering uh, a little bit about that. What, hmm, what, what the mean spirit that motivates uh, Uncle Vernon. Uh, what? Hmm, I'm not exactly sure where to go. Go with that. For some reason, I was very much fixated on it, but now I'm not. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's such an interesting character because all along he's been um, sort of like the the uh, the for the motive force, right? Like he he tries to board up the the house when all the letters are coming in, and then he tries to take them off to the little hut on on the rock on the ocean um and so this time he you know drives harry into the middle of london um so he is a he's a kind of interesting uh mercurial figure here um like like your word psychopomp right i mean he's a little bit of that he's like a, a dark psychopomp yeah and something interesting too about that is it um it's unclear to me exactly so what what he thinks the outcome of the situation is going to be if the reason he drives Harry or includes Harry is so that he can take him to the platform where he will, he will not have a train waiting for him because there is no platform there and Harry is stuck there. Is he, is he leaving Harry abandoning him or is he expecting to loop back around later in the day and then just viciously cut him down and tell him things like who would ever want you? And uh, it's like, what, how malevolent is uncle Vernon's plan there? really um <laughs> yeah yeah well he's gleeful about it all right he's 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 really delighted by the um trouble that harry's in at this point since harry doesn't really know what's going on uh, and it's just, yeah and it's just that that interesting of the archetype of the negative or the evil father and how that might connect with voldemort in some in some aspect and if we start seeing parallels between the everyday mundane muggle world and the the great heavenly world of the sorcerer it's like, you know, what can you do if your father figure who has control over your house and how you're treated hates you? Um, what yeah. can you do beyond endure? Well, and, uh, I, I think yeah. it's also um, like at the beginning of the chapter when he describes like that, that month between July 31st and August 31st, um, I, don't, I think it's, it's partially hate, but it's also fear. I mean... I don't know about you guys, but I mean, when, when I feel like I'm out of control of a situation, um, or over a person and that control or that lack thereof, I suppose, is all the more visible. Um, that person is winning, so to speak. Um, <laughs> I, I can understand the movement towards nastiness or malice. I mean, that's, 
that's like it's like your last weapon of cutting down this thing that you fear or this thing mm-hmm. and 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 often what we fear is what we can't control and can't understand i guess i i can understand why he goes from um you know they go from ignoring him out of fear to kind of growing increasingly nasty and uh, malicious because it, it to me it stems from a it's like the last resort. Um, it's not rational. I don't think he actually has a plan for like what he would do four hours after Dudley's procedure, check and see if Harry's there, right? Like, But I think it's just, it's what we do when we know we've lost and we don't know why. Um, that, yeah, that agrees perfectly with Milton's perception of Satan and Paradise Lost. That's one of the first things that he declares better to rule in hell yeah. than to serve in heaven, completely giving in to the fact that he has been completely and utterly defeated, not only physically, substantially, but also his way of thinking has been defeated. He is definitely not the best thing in the universe. He has been cast down, and he also doesn't even have eternal place in the universe. And his only response to that is to say, I will eternally hate. And so I think, I mean, that's brilliant what you just said. Uh, Sarah, that, that, that of course the Dursleys now powerless over this thing they despise would engage in malicious or would, would, would have malice towards it. And well, then it's, it's especially good that, that Harry gets out of that situation and, <laughs> uh, and onto this platform. But then all of a sudden, what, did Hagrid not tell him something? What's, what's happening? He, there is no platform nine and three quarters. And he asks uh, a guard and the guards talks about wasting time. And so he has to, he has to, we all know that feeling, especially when we were young of, are we lost? The thing that didn't happen that was supposed to happen is not happening. And there's nobody that can tell me what to do. And uh, 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 it's a <laughs> panic attack, panic attack. And um, uh, so all of a sudden he has to become very aware, alert, take in his surroundings and look for clues of the magical world. And he sees these redheads that are all standing <laughs> out. And, and here's, here's something. Just, here's something about the muggles, right? Here's their specific vocabulary. So it's because he's very aware that he picks up on their presence. And then the woman, uh, Mrs. Weasley, that we'll find out her name later, uh, is very kind to him and helps him on through. And he has to sort of take a leap of faith. And so what did y'all think about that? The having, uh, the, the having to figure out who to follow, who to trust, potentially blaming Hagrid for not telling him something. And, um, and the fact that he had to trust this new woman he didn't know and run potentially towards disaster, uh, towards, towards this, this, you know, brick wall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great image of, uh, well, a couple of things, right? On the one hand, Hagrid taking for granted that everyone knows these sorts of things, mm-hmm. you know, and we see that a, a ton in this, mm-hmm. these couple chapters where the magical people, like, assume that everyone just, like, gets it. It's, it's just totally normal. So it's like a funny inversion, right, of, um, of what we take to be normality. And then on, on the other hand, yeah, the, the image of like the way that you get to this place is by walking straight towards a blank wall and, <laughs> through, and, and on through it. You know, it's, it's very different from like the, the famous uh, wardrobe, you know, that's like a mm-hmm. thing that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. This is just like a wall, which when you walk into it is not there, which is great. I mean, it's, it's very evocative image. That's making me want to call this podcast pathways and each pathway is a different one or something like that or passages. Ooh, passages would get that double entendre too. 
not bad. All right, I'll keep thinking about that. Sarah, what were you thinking? About, yeah, so I, I mean, I think you said what I was thinking, Alex, as I was reading is that, um, there, that this seems to be an interesting, like, matter of faith for him. Um, so, so many times, um, in these chapters, like you said, Wes, like the very opposite of what we would expect in the, in the muggle world is what is true in the magical world. Um, and again, like, I mean, yeah, he shouldn't talk to a stranger, the very opposite of what he should expect happen happens. And she turns out to be this really kind and generous and we'll later find out extraordinarily strong and good woman. Um, which, which happened so soon after, um, Mr. Dursley's, uh, malice, right? Um, it, um, and, and when he, when he gets to the platform and she give a run at it, um, you know, um, he, I, I, I was just struck by how, um, kids are, are just so much more willing to try something that sounds crazy, something like, you know what I mean? Like run at that wall. Um, and, uh. And I think it just the matter of faith element to it seemed really interesting, though he did watch other people do it beforehand. Right. So it's not like it's pure faith. He watched um, Fred and George um, run at the at the at the pillar. He watched Percy do the same thing. So it wasn't as though he had no evidence that it might work, but he still isn't quite certain. Um, Yeah. He didn't see the magic of it. Each time it was obscured. So right. he saw the evidence of it. So he was sort of like a martyr. He's seen martyrs before, but he doesn't see like, I don't know, the transubstantiation or the, the miracle itself. He's like Adam not seeing the, uh, the rib or Odysseus on the Phaeacian ship. So you're right. Yeah. So there is uh, an element of mimicry there, but the Adam run, that's the gnarly part to me. He has to take a run at it because he needs to go unnoticed by the muggles and that that really it just strikes me that that's the appropriate parenting relationship of say a mother to Mm. a young boy that of encouragement to go out into the world and to do that which you is potentially dangerous which you don't understand that you have to interact with the world in order to learn and i like that that's the first lesson of hogwarts i i will also say that um my cover is different from yours and that is this is that's the image on the British cover. They have the Hogwarts Express and Platform Nine and Three Quarters, um, and right next to it, kind of to the right in the back, um, is what looks like an Amtrak train, but is mm. real. It's so it's a it's a Muggle World train right next to this kind of Thomas the Tank Engine looking beautiful red <laughs> red Hogwarts Express. Um, and in the back, you can see the windows and the pillars of King's Cross. So the, the cover really nicely illustrates the, like the, the two worlds that he has to straddle or navigate yeah. in between, which we see a lot of in these two chapters. Again, how he's sort of like, I feel like he has to run at a lot of pillars um, in these yeah. in these uh, in these two chapters to what you you pointed out earlier, Wes, where he like everybody assumes that he knows a lot of things. And so in order to not like lose rank or lose face, 
he kind of has to like run into this world and you know like learn really quick who all of the wizards are by eating as many chocolate frogs <laughs> as he possibly can I'm like and that I, I that he has to go at a bit of a run I think through a lot of things because he is he's so behind uh at least culturally behind um compared to a lot of these people or these other students so to speak yeah and it yeah. seems to show where the real magic is at this potential to adapt to the mm. situation rather than to just accept dead inert tradition that mm. he uh, that he that's like kind of what going at a run is you're you're maximizing as much potential as possible but you're also in a dangerous fast moving situation and so adaptation goes fast but Wes I think I cut you off what we're saying I was just going to pick up on the the other people that he meets you know in these chapters we, we're, we're introduced to a lot of important characters and and his first introduction to Dumbledore is great because it's on it's on the the picture from the chocolate frog, mm-hmm. um, and and along with that, you know, then he uh, then he gets to see him in person, and hear his uh, his well chosen uh, dress. His <laughs> <words. laughs> oh, great. we have to talk about that. Okay. Yeah. At yeah, some at some point, I don't. We don't have Oddment. to talk about it now. <laughs> I had to look up Oddment. but okay. What so talking about. Yeah, I think it was the third word. But um, I, I wanted I wanted to mention something that I had never noticed before reading these books several times, which is that the people who first introduce Ron to Harry are Fred and George. They, the tricksters, are the first ones to figure out who Harry is because they are the most likely and the most willing to go beyond social conventions, which they will show quite a bit. And, um, and the, I really love them as figures throughout the story. And they seem to be like sort of the positive element of what Peeves is, who we meet later on. Peeves <laughs> is like this mean-spirited, bully-like comedian or trickster figure, whereas Fred and George seem to often fight for justice, and they certainly will against uh, Dolores Umbridge. But um, they're, they're the ones who first bring Ron to meet Harry and I just remember thinking even though they might seem like funny slightly bullying sort of brothers they definitely have Ron's best interests out for him because Ron comes from though on the one hand a very poor family on the other hand an extremely successful family right his one of his brothers works for Gringotts one works as like a dragon uh, like tamer or, 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 or scientist or something one was head boy one was a Quidditch captain. One is now a prefect. Two are very smart and everybody loves them. It's like Ron comes from a family that has everything that matters and he seems to be feeling the weight of that on his shoulders. So he and Harry both have this tremendous weight of tradition on their shoulders, things that they, they couldn't really control. Like Ron, the gifts of and the achievements of his brothers and uh, Harry, the thing he did as a baby, we'll find out wasn't even really due to him in the final yeah. analysis. And um, I just thought that was so interesting that they they were looking out for Ron like that. They're like, here's the most famous person of all time. Go sit with him, be his friend. Yeah. Well, and then the way that Hermione's introduced is great too, because she's helping out Neville look for his toad. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know? so, so in a way she's kind of led to meet Harry as well. Um, and she's like, and she pops back in from time to time. And she's like, oh, so they're talking up and down the train. Like, is this Harry Potter? So, and that's that's how Malfoy comes into it too. You know, mm-hmm. we, we sort of are, are half introduced to him somewhere else and then he gets the full introduction later. So yeah, I think that there's something going on there where the way that she brings the characters together is very, very artful and I think significant. Yeah, there's 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 intention behind all of these these meetings. 
um, a guiding a guiding kind of not providence of course because you know it's just her writing the story but again there's like a mysterious power at work drawing these characters together I think that's totally fair to see and so, something something I never noticed about Hermione that I appreciated this time giving lectures through and that I appreciate now just I guess as a person who cares about being productive rather than being like a rapscallion young boy who wants to be like harry potter is it harry or is that hermione makes all the right moves she reminds me of uh diomedes from the iliad and that she sort of <laughs> symbolizes the capacity to move up a competence hierarchy right because she's just as far behind as harry yeah uh but she doesn't have that wealth of wizarding uh capital at her back right either the love of those whom were saved by harry and his family's actions or the actual money itself. And so what has she done? She's gotten all the books. She's read all the books. Now she's coming to see the actual famous person. Now she's distinguishing herself as helping in an incompetent young boy, Neville. <laughs> now, and, and soon she'll be talking to Percy. She sees the prefect of Gryffindor house and she'll be talking to him about how she wants to do transfiguration. Why does she want to do transfiguration? Because that's uh, using the logos on the world, but also because she's in Gryffindor, who's the head of Gryffindor, Minerva McGonagall. Mm -hmm. She wants to get closest to Minerva, the symbol of wisdom, who's also teaching her favorite subject. And she wanted to be in Gryffindor in the first place because she heard that Albus Dumbledore, the headmaster, was a Gryffindor. And so she, she makes all the right moves. This is something I did not appreciate at all as a young human. But she's, she is successful not only because of her gifts and her drive, but her strategizing and her implementation. She, she's very direct about what she wants and and she goes out and gets it i'm very impressed by hermione i would say <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean uh she she's also like but it's also kindness right like mm. looking for neville's toad you know that's just like well here's someone in, who needs some help um and i'm like a take charge sort of person i'll, I'll mm -hmm. help this person with his little and that's kind of like it sort of bookends the the whole episode because at the very end hagrid one of his pockets has got the, the toad in it, sure enough. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, and that's true. And she's Those always pockets. Ahead. Yeah, yeah. They <laughs> they have we could be pockets or passages. <laughs> <laughs> We're like little hobbits. Well, well, you you did in a text message uh, thread compare <laughs> yourself to a hobbit, and so perhaps we could be living in little <laughs> hobbit holes, which exist in some Doctor Seuss snowflake way within the pockets of Hagrid and we're, we're in some super mythosphere, um, you know, why not? Why not? Um, okay. So yeah. Yeah. So we do meet Draco for the first time yeah. and we get several snake elements there. We get not only Draco, but we soon learn about the Slytherins and the very first password of the, of the Gryffindors is Caput Draconis, which I actually had a dream about last night, which we talked about at some point. Or say for a less crazy episode. <laughs> what did y'all think about that introduction already with his crab and his goyle next to him? Telling us about some wizarding folk being better than others. And we best not hang out with some people lest the smell rub off on us. Paraphrase. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got to have your, your rival character. And, and in some ways, he's a compelling one. You know, he's uh, clearly influential among the the kids and um he's got his two his flanking uh guardian figures <laughs> but but then i, I like you get I never, in. sorry the way the uh scabbers scabbers saves mm. the day there mm -hmm. uh, so 
I don't, I don't know. I hadn't really picked up on that before, but yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah I on. think. Um, oh no, I was just gonna say that uh, we've talked about how names are super uh, meaningful here, and um, you know, I know I know that Draco is a um, is a constellation. Uh, I have to confess, I did a little research as to what Caput Draconis was, and. Apparently that's also a, a star in the Draco constellation or it's somehow tied to um, the word Draco. But Malfoy to me is, is um, uh, more interesting because in, in, I think it comes from French, um, uh, which means like uh, bad faith or lacking in faith. Hey, Sarah, and Sarah, let's, it, pa- let's oh, pause. Sorry. The recording is doing something funny. I'm going to let it process oh. and then I'm going to call y'all back because I think what happens is that when it goes long, it starts to lose bandwidth. So if I call back, I think the issue will just resolve itself and then we'll just okay. have two segments. Okay. And because I Can you still hear uh, me? I can at this moment, but you started to go out like last time. So my working hypothesis oh, shoot. has been okay. that um, if we just go too long, then that happens. So I thought, I think we can just turn it into two segments and we'll be fine. And we'll, we'll just, we'll just leave okay. with, because that's great stuff all right all right okay. no 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 oh, no this is it we'll be right back all right so i guess we can call this part two miss sarah miller so we're okay. back with all the technical issues hopefully resolving themselves and you were talking about the caput draconis yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Um, I, um, should I start with the first time when I made that comment? It's still um, sort of happening. I can't believe this, huh? This is weird. And Wes, Wes isn't here yet either. Hmm. Hmm. It looks like on my phone uh-huh. that I'm there twice. How is that possible? How is that possible? I don't know. Let me look. Can you kick can you kick one of me out? Um, I only see one of you now. Okay. But I don't see Wes. Wes? <laughs> Wet, but Wes is the one person I don't see here yet. <laughs> oh, Wes is blaming Anchor. Oh, here he comes. Hey, Wes. Ahoy. Ahoy. All right. So, wow. You know, technology. Again, the metaphor of Ron's wand after it breaks in the what is it, the second movie, The Chamber of Secrets? That seems to be us at times. But we're going to get this information about the Caput Draconis because, <laughs> uh, I mean, you put the research in, Miss Sarah Miller, and just like Hermione would get her stage, so should no, you. I, I feel like it's not a point that's worth this um, effort. Absolutely is. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, Caput Draconis means... Um, dragon's head it is the uh the chief star in the constellation of draco um i think it's interesting that it's the uh 
password for the Gryffindor common room and not obviously the one where Draco Malfoy like most obviously belongs the sorting hat sits on his head for like half a second um and um on top of that his his last name is interesting to me because um it in French it means bad faith and just the way that he interacts with other people and the way that he interacts, even with the people he seems to call friend, though obviously their friendship is one of rank and hierarchy and not equality. Um, he doesn't really seem like the kind of person who really keeps friends or real friends. Um, and it reminded me of the, the, the quote in the Sorting Hat song where friend kids are... Um, are described as you'll make your real friends those cunning folk use any means to achieve their ends and i just i think it's interesting that friends become a means to uh another goal as opposed to the goal in and of themselves um for slytherin kids and if someone is named malfoy or bad faith or lacking fidelity it just seems like that seems extraordinarily apt for him and the father of him that we'll later meet. Um, anyway, did yes, did that work? and uh, what what's interesting too about that idea of bad faith or using friends instrumentally is that seems to also mark the Slytherin and later Death Eater perspective on how to use magic and how to use spells to use uh, sort of like the dark side of the Force in the Star Wars mythos to bend the Force or bend. Uh, others to their will and in fact we'll see that one of the unforgivable curses literally does bend one to one's will and uh, mm. uh, the cruciatus curse and also you can bend one's will to one's will and then of course you can uh, turn make one from ashes to ashes dust to dust as well but great yeah and, and it just it, it all sort of reminded me like I thought it was interesting that um, Caput Draconis once I realized it was in the constellation Draco mm. should be the password for the Gryffindor mm, common yeah. room, um, which just because when Harry wears the sorting hat um, in chapter seven, the sorting hat says that he could do well in Slytherin. Um, and at the end of the, the, the chapter um, when, <laughs> when they're going into the common room and like Neville can't actually like, get into the, to the get through the door he needs a leg up he needs help um and and just prior we 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 learned that um the hufflepuff people are those who are true and just and loyal it just made me wonder if um these four houses are not more intimately tied to one another like they seem to to lift up this one virtue, but I guess this one, this question that I know all these Reddit boards explore mm -hmm. and Harry Potter nerds around the world ask this question all the time. And I'm sure that there's no one um, right conclusion, but what do the four houses represent? Are they um, virtues at the exclusion of the others or are they, um, are they places that identify your most defining quality or the quality that governs all of the other qualities of yours. It, it really seems to me that like, um, I don't know that having this, having this password 
for a house that it doesn't seem to be related to um, is, I don't know. That's interesting. Um, I don't know. Well, yeah. Well, just as a start on the houses, I think that they represent different temperamental aspects towards the world, shaping one's differing goals in the world and thus one's differing perceptions and thus one's differing focuses. And so it's as if, each one of the houses is a different lens through which one can view one's experience of going to Hogwarts and was one's uh, as a microcosm of one's experience in life. And so, and, and it's not so much that the houses are all encapsulating of personality, but that they, they seem to resonate around the particular qualities represented by words that the sorting hat speaks that, uh, that that is what draws the people together and thus those are the, the attributes or virtues or feelings which resonate most um, in that space. And that one comes to embody those qualities most precisely because one is uh, in the presence of them most. Mm. So one is, as Hufflepuff, you could be, Neville could easily be Hufflepuff or Gryffindor. But what yeah. it seems that he needs is courage. He needs yeah. to learn to rise up. Because innately, and we find out, he comes from a brave and noble family, but he's not yet, even though he appears sort of um, like someone who might need to be trusting and loyal, uh, because he certainly has to rely on Hermione before he knows her well, and sometimes loyalty can be bred from lack of confidence. Um, imagine a child with a parent at first. Um, um, but um, that the house is going to bring out the quality in you that you most want to embody. And you have to make a choice at the beginning, what you want to be, if you want to be something. And so even though they don't represent a human as fully as they can, they represent the element. I think that a human most wants to embody wisdom with Ravenclaw ambition or power or capacity to acquire power for Slytherin uh, bravery or courage with Gryffindor and um, Hufflepuff. Tr uh, uh, it, it seems like loyalty or trustworthiness or, or their, their diligence. Their diligence in the name of doing something good. Yeah, because the Sorting Hat takes a long time with Neville mm. as well and with a few others. And I sort of wondered, you know, what, what would be Neville's alternative? Do you think it'd be Hufflepuff mm -hmm. or... Um, you know, we, we know who Harry's alternative or what Harry's alternative is. And there, are, um, I think it's Seamus Finnegan. There's an alternate, there's a whole minute before, um, before the sorting hat declares him a Gryffindor. Um, and I, I, I just, I, I always find it interesting. Like, do you get placed in this house because it's what you need? Like Neville needs courage or Hermione needs, um, uh, opportunity for adventure to temper her uh prove herself obsession with being right um or is it is it that that's where you're most naturally um uh going to excel um you know harry you know for all of the the fact that he didn't know where he was at king's cross for a few minutes he does run at the pillar because that's what you need to do. Like that shows a level of, of courage and nerve mm -hmm. that, that he sort of innately has. Um, 
or that we've seen demonstrated a few other a few other times and places even before he sorted. So, I, yeah, I find I find that that question interesting. Well, Wes, know? do you think that there's an element of choice in it? Because do we see anybody who doesn't get sorted into precisely the house that they want? Like, mm-hmm. isn't it the case Ron wants to be Gryffindor? Gryffindor. Draco definitely wants to be Slytherin. Immediately Slytherin. Hermione wants to be Gryffindor. Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry. Harry seems to have conscribed options. He's either Gryffindor or, or Slytherin, though it says he has not a bad mind either, but it seems that Gryffindor or Slytherin are the big ones, and he says not Slytherin. So it's got to be Gryffindor. And, well, it's called the sorting hat, and I know to sort means to sort things into categories, but also it means to, to sort things out. It's an idea of thinking. Mm. The last line in its song is it's a thinking cap. And so I wonder if it was like, say, a symbol of the archetype of the self or the thinking one does in order to plan the future one wishes to have. So it's like it represents the thinking of one's future self that would be necessary in order to bring about the existence of that future self, suggesting that Harry, rather than being the next Voldemort, wants to be something like the next Dumbledore or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree that it's, it's song is really interesting. It sort of lays out for everyone, no matter what their background, they, they get a shot here at understanding what's going on, at least uh, in a small way, because it describes each of the houses and what's about to happen. And so, yeah, they, they each sort of step up to it uh, in, in a, a certain amount of terror. Um, but it seems to be not directed at the fact that they, like we were talking about much at the beginning uh, with Vernon, right? Not terror in the sense of spite at something they can't control, mm. but a sort mm. of like holy awe and dread of like what is going to be re- like determined about them in this mm. moment. And so the, I find the initiation element of it really important. And the fact that each of the houses is equally overjoyed when someone is placed in, into their house, right? They're all um, a sort of family. And so in that sense, they're all exactly the same. Um, and in, in the ways that they differ, it's, it's so that there's this kind of like lively competition within the school, mm. this kind of like creative tension is um, institutionalized rather than being underground, which I think is just brilliant um, and clearly, you know, works really well. And you're, you're right about it being sort of a mysterious initiation, right? Because it, um, it does partake of both the mysterious tremendum or that which is potentially terrifying and tremendous, as well as the mysterium fascinans. What's that hat? How does it work? What does yeah. it do? And also, what does it do? It goes over your eyes, right? It blinds you. And then uh, you you mm-hmm. take it off your head and then you see again, but you see now as the house you are in. Rather than unformed, you now have direction. You have a place to go where you now belong. You have been initiated not only into the school, but into your specific house, not only into a society, but a sub-society, which helps you to understand your individual place as well, um, which, which it's interesting to what extent hats uh, take, a, take a role in initiations, right? Like when we graduate, we move the tassel from one side to the other, and then we throw our hats in the air, indicating that now we are the masters. We, we have our free wills. We no longer need to be subjected by teachers. And, um, and, well, and various other hats. Like if we were the Pope, you wear a particular hat. If you're the demagogue of a certain state, you wear a hat. If you're a baseball player, you wear a hat to show which team you're on. We even do that when we're walking around the streets 
And so the, it's as if you get to choose your hat. Like you get to choose the direction mm. you wish to go. And then within that larger destiny that you choose at the beginning, you also choose your individual, uh, you make your individual choices as well. If yeah. I could, oh, I was just going to say, if I could just add a little bit to that, like from other moments and what we read for today, the, when Harry runs at the platform, he, his eyes are closed yes. and then he, he moves through magically and he opens his eyes and he sees things and he feels um, safe and welcome. And then again, when they are, when they get off the, the train and the first years go with Hagrid, mm -hmm. it's described that they go down this very steep, narrow, dark path and, um, and nobody really knew where they were going. Nobody mm -hmm. said much. And, and Hagrid reminds them that they'll all have their first sight of Hogwarts in a, in a minute. And there's this loud, ooh, you know, like a, a, a sound of awe and wonder as the narrow path um, turns and they open suddenly right at the Great Lake, just in front of those boats that they all have to go into four at a time. Um, Perched atop a high mountain on the other side, its windows sparkling in the starry sky was a vast castle with many turrets and towers. And they all have this, this experience of awe. And as they, they get into the boats um, and they make their way across, um, they all have to bend their heads a little bit um, to get underneath um, some bridge or through a tunnel or something that seems uh, to be taking them right underneath the castle, which seems to be like yeah. a, a um, like a moment where they have to all together uh, bow in a way. It's almost um, it's almost mm -hmm. sacred. Um, it, it reminds me of, of of the way people enter church, enter a church, um, and like bow their heads, uh, put the sign of the cross on their on their body and like make their way into a pew like but just i wanted to bring up those two other examples of people going from a lack of sight to being able to see but they see themselves as now a member of a new group so now he's he gets to platform nine and three quarters and he's he's really in the magical world and then he's in the world of hogwarts and then he's in a family it's like um these i i think that 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 what you brought up, Alex, of the, the sorting hat blinding them and then giving them a chance to see a, see differently. Um, that, to me, also is kind of a nice metaphor for what education is, is that you draw someone into a moment where they don't understand something and then um, give kids the tools to figure out a way to give themselves sight Um I don't, I, right, sure right, and I like I like sense, the idea but... that they all had to put their heads down as they came beneath the um the bottom of Hogwarts, indicating that they're submitting themselves to the education. That in order to see the heights, one must first see the depths, the mm. fundament of something, and that the fundamental uh, uh, aspect of developing one's intellect is that one must submit oneself to an education, to a rigorous uh, uh, process of problem solving so that one can go from seeing the darkness below the castle to eventually seeing the stars, which are represented above. And I love that it's actually represented as um, 
the stars are represented above. They're representations of the stars. They're not the stars themselves. They're bewitchment in the same way that our thoughts are reflections of reality, not reality itself. And so that for an education, one must submit one's will to develop one's intellect. That seems to be the idea at a magical school as well as a, a regular school, that you must become unfree first in order to free one's, to have true freedom mm. of the will, to master it by means of one's intellect. And uh, it's so often at the beginning of this education, they're going from blind to seeing in the same way that all throughout their education, they will be going from blind to seeing, ideally. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a, the, the talk about seeing and things uh, makes me think about um, the moment when uh, Harry sees Quirrell and Snape talking mm. and uh, uh, he gets the green flash um, when, when Quirrell's, when, when the mm. teacher looked past Quirrell's turban straight into Harry's eyes, a sharp, hot pain shot across the scar on Harry's forehead. Uh, what is it? Asked Percy. No, nothing. Okay, so he thinks he knows, um, you know, he thinks he knows who's responsible for this green flash. Uh, but of course, it's, it's so delightfully uh, not who he expects it, that causes it. Yeah. Yeah, I was really interested. What are you interested in? Whether that was like a non-causa, pro-causa, in that it it is actually the Voldemort behind the purple turban that causes the pain in Harry's uh, head, but he does also see the direct gaze of Snape mm -hmm. as well, and it it's almost as if what it's supposed to suggest is how we project in the image of evil without understanding what evil is, and we thus miss the mark. Yeah. And when we get the when we get his dream at the end of this chapter, he he first has the purple turban on his head, not the sorting hat giving him a choice, but telling mm -hmm. him Slytherin. You have to change the Slytherin. It gets tighter and tighter tyrannically, mm -hmm. and then and then he sees first Draco, who's a minor manifestation of the shadow or the evil that which we see evil in, and then it's Snape who seemed to cause this pain in his his lightning bolt, but. Again, the ultimate manifestation he doesn't yet see. Voldemort, he can't even conceptualize. He doesn't orient correctly yet in order to see it. So he can only see the minor manifestations, potentially because he still sees them where? Outside himself, right? Uh -huh. um, and ultimately, he'll get sort of a lesson like that, right, by the end, because Voldemort will not exist outside of a person in a disembodied way. He will be embodied in someone's head, literally speaking, uh, as an idea uh, or, you know, as a controlling idea. And just something interesting I thought about that was that that seems to be what Quirrell fa failed to do that Harry did do, that Harry fights that tyrannical, evil, dark idea that makes one a servant of Voldemort or a dark wizard, whereas whereas Quirrell seems to have not had the, the strength of will or, or even the correct intent. Perhaps he was a, he, a student of dark magic because he wanted to be a, a great dark wizard, not something inappropriate to imagine, I, I think. Um, but that, hmm, well, that's what I had to say on that. <laughs> uh. what, what do you guys think about, the, uh, about um, Dumbledore's words before the banquet? Or the banquet itself. Um. Yeah. Um, Dumbledore's words. Uh, I wanted to look at that. Like yeah, the, yeah. 
nitwit blubber oddments. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody clapped and cheered. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's funny because um, he does have some more like actual things to tell them, but he does that after the banquet, right? After, after the, the food. And, and then Harry does laugh and he's not supposed to, right? So Harry's not sure to, whether to laugh or not at first. It seems acceptable to laugh. And then he does laugh when he's told, you know, you'll die a grisly death if you go <laughs> down this hall. Uh, Harry laughs because he thinks <laughs> it must be a joke and no one else does, you know, very few people do. So, yeah, I found the, the parallel there really, really very interesting. Uh, part of what Dumbledore's fascination is, is you can't tell when he's being serious. Right. Mm. He's like a trickster and the old wise man yeah. figure. And yeah. something interesting, too, is that he, he only says four words, and he seems to understand that nobody wants to be hearing some words right now. They want to be eating some food. And then so he, share, he saves the real information for when they can actually focus on him, when they're satiated. So he understands something about human nature there. But um, something that Eric Neumann claims in this book that we're both reading, The Origin and History of Consciousness, is that when one is um, going through the individuation process or the process of becoming who one is. And we might see that the Harry Potter series is a process by which uh, or through which Harry comes to understand himself in this new world. Um, you see the symbol of four often. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just kind of trying to keep track of where we see four, like four balls in, 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 uh, in uh, Quidditch, four houses, four poster beds, a four-step uh, stool that the sorting hat finds itself on and also these four words as well right and i i try I, mean, I think in my lectures i tried to connect them i don't know what i tried to connect them to honestly um I, yeah go on. i think that they are related i think that they're related to the four houses i was wondering about that so I, I can't quite figure out the last one <laughs> but to me so it's after the sorting has happened and we, we tell we've been told what the virtues are of each of these houses or what the, what the things are that they treasure. So I read nitwit as to be, to be like the thing that a Ravenclaw would be terrified of being right. called. Yeah. Right? I was thinking that. Or, or blubber to me, I don't, all I think of is like whale fat. Um, but maybe it's, it's the, the word for somebody who like, shakes who's who's um uh cowardly um someone's blubbering when they're crying or just blubbering when yeah. they're saying nonsense blubbering blubbering in fear um which i know we will later see characters do but um isn't that something that a gryffindor would be terrified of of being called um and I don't know about oddment and tweak. I know oddment is something from like sewing. It's like a, it's like leftovers. Hmm. Uh, somebody who, who doesn't conform. I don't know, like leftovers. Maybe that's something Slytherin would be afraid of being called. I'm not, I can't quite figure it out. I'm, but it seems to me like those are the, um, those are the, what each house maybe would see as the other. Right. Um, um, or the thing that's not them or the thing that they never want to be. And maybe it's, um, maybe it's what, uh, I mean, it's hard to think about it just purely from, from Harry's perspective, because we saw his pre Hogwarts life in a way we, but you know, what, 
at the beginning of term, what would a headmaster say to students, if not words of welcome? So is this what these kids would all be in another school that doesn't understand their magicness and that Hogwarts is a place where the nitwits, the blubberers, the oddments, and the, the tweaky kids mm. You know, know, maybe maybe it's also just a statement of the faith that the students have in him as a headmaster as well, that he can say something that sounds like perfect nonsense and they have faith that has deep and profound meaning. Because I I mean, that's something that Harry says to Percy, he says, is he quite mad? And Percy says, mad? He's the greatest wizard in the world. And yes, also he's mad. Pass the potatoes, please. (laughs) And, and, And so the idea seems to be that it's like, it doesn't, even so much matter what the words are that Dumbledore says so much does he command respect by virtue of being the most powerful wizard and the most benevolent wizard. It's like his actions and his place in the world built on them speak for themselves. So he no longer needs to even make sense because, because uh, his deeds and his magnificence are so manifest in the world that he doesn't, he doesn't need to add to it through, uh, through any finer speech, though he does direct us appropriately after the food. He tells us where to stay away from. And he seems to have some under, he seems to have a masterful understanding of what happens in his castle, right? Because he gives a look at the uh, Fred and George, um, Fred and George. uh, uh, Sorry, I wanted to call them Dursleys, but Weasleys. And so it's as if, and that's so interesting too, because we meet Peeves the poltergeist. And so these are troublemakers. And yet, this Dumbledore figure allows for the troublemakers. He seems to understand that each of them has their place, like we've been talking about in uh, this conversation so far. Um, yeah. One one thing I did want to mention, though, that I thought was sad foreshadowing is when the school song is sung and each person picks their own tune and even their own uh, uh, duration, uh, showing a connection between the individual and society is, the the Weasleys are singing a funeral dirge. Oh. Yes, and I thought I thought that was rather sad, but also rather clever. And they took yeah. the longest. And Dumbledore conducts their last few lines with his wand, and he remarks that music is a a greater a magic beyond all they do at Hogwarts. So yeah, I found that really really striking. Um, hmm. The hmm. the. Uh, the walking sticks, what did you guys make of that? I don't remember if that's significant. You, you, t- you brought up Peeves. He's carrying a bundle of walking sticks, and then he starts launching them and uh, cackles. What's that about? Well, just as sort of a simple perspective on it, just when I was giving my lecture, I thought that that sort of showed um, the value of being in a group, of now being as part of a house or being part of a society, that uh, it, it brought up the old folktale of the father who gave his son sticks and each one of the sticks taken alone could easily be broken. But when you place them all together, it makes it harder to break any one of them mm-hmm. as well. And that sort of the idea was that like uh, any one of you could be taken out by me if caught alone, but mm-hmm. working together, you can defeat the, uh, the evil spirits. And I just some interesting is, I don't know if you get the same pictures mm-hmm. on yours, Sarah, from the British version, but in, in the, the American version, he he sort of looks like a floating, uh, like llama or 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 Brahma or Buddhist figure. He's sitting in this sort of uh, levitating uh, position, like you would describe to like a master of yoga. 
Yeah. And so he's he's both the figure of like the poltergeist or the trickster or the fool, but also of the wise person as well. So like the, even he has a lesson to teach and it seems to be something like, well, I think that's part of the lesson at least. The fact that he throws, yeah. Wait, you guys have pictures? Mm-hmm. American readers need pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably true. Um, there are no pictures in my version. Um, <laughs> that, that's funny. That's funny. That British austerity there and our and our American yeah. lack of attention. We just sit and stare at the pictures. We, we don't even do the reading. Um, <laughs> Wes and I have been waiting for this the whole time. Uh, <laughs> what did, how did you understand it, Wes? Uh, uh, Uruguay just scored. Sorry, I was watching Uruguay score a goal just now. I mean, <laughs> it was great. Oh, that's so no, exciting. the pictures. Are you root- you're rooting for Uruguay, oh, yes. right? Right. Oh, right? Yes. Okay, good. Me too. Okay, so, so, so the Cup, go Uruguay. I, I I think that they are interesting in that they sort of um, cue you into something to watch for in the chapter. You know, uh, the the previous one was the picture of Dumbledore and the frog, the chocolate toad. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's a creative, I think, way to sort of like lead you into um, the next chapter. Cause they're not always like particularly strong cliffhangers really at the end of these. It's not like necessarily going to keep you turning the pages all on its own. So here's like something very interesting to look ahead to. Um, but yeah, I agree that the, the representation of Peeves is not, per- it doesn't like scream ghost right away. Yeah, once you know who he is, you can sort of recognize him. But without without uh, the context, he he does look more like some kind of um, you know uh, nefarious little magical person of like some little leprechaun type type of guy. His his curly toed boots are are great. Yeah. Yeah, and just looking at him, you would he, he seems to have no connection to the Sorting Hat right. itself. Right. And so I wonder if what he trying to emphasize and perhaps he shows himself to each one of the houses is that now that they have a direction now that they have formed into their houses they will have a specific set of obstacles that they will face uh, uh, between them and their goals and those those obstacles will be particular to which house they're in because their goals will be particular to which house they're in yeah what were you saying the one interesting thing kind of like the caput draconis um password it's the bloody baron who can keep peeves in order. Mm-hmm. Percy mm-hmm. points that out right away. Like, so if you ever get cornered by peeves, like just call him the baron and he'll, help. and he's of course the, the ghost of the Slytherin house. So I found that really interesting. Yeah. Why did you, why, why do you think of all, I mean, so we do meet several ghosts, right? We yeah. meet the fat friar. Who's actually the first one to introduce himself <laughs> and to all the, uh, to all the, the first years and to try and make them feel sort of comfortable and, and he sort of has a comfortable and accepting look about him. We also meet Sir, our nearly headless Nick, who's the Gryffindor head of house. And he's asked, I think by Seamus, hey, how can you be nearly headless? And he, uh, he, uh, he shows him by pulling his head almost off. And I wondered to what extent that represented the fact that Gryffindor should keep in mind that how close you can come to success as a hero, but also how close you are to failure as well, that he's a representation of coming up short as a hero. Right. And in fact, we'll see in the Halloween celebrations, 
that he's not accepted that he's not accepted to the headless ball because he is only nearly headless. He didn't follow through completely, or at least the blade that cut his head off didn't follow through completely. And that uh, the path the path to being a hero is a treacherous one. Was sort of he did not because he he's he's not a successful figure in many ways. Uh, he's not one that the students seem to look up to, and he yeah. he seems to have some resentment or mopiness about him um and so i i don't know i wondered if he's so sort of like the bloody baron too obviously bloody because of some coup trespassed upon him possibly because he was cruel or something like that and then of course we know that uh is is not uh the the ravenclaw the 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 ravenclaw's um ghost the daughter of rowena ravenclaw who died under helena Helena, right who died under uh, mysterious circumstances or yeah something like that and so each of these ghosts something having to do with the bloody baron they have a past mm-hmm. yes and so uh, so each of these ghosts seems to be sort of like a a reminder from the past an embodied story of how yeah. things can go wrong for you in your house if you don't keep the course if you don't keep the faith like you said if you don't if you don't believe that how things have gone in the past will go for you even if you act in the same way boom you'll find yourself the same and i think even when we meet Moni myrtle she is perhaps uh, a major embodiment of that 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 uh mistakes can even come earlier and well or terrible things can happen even when you're young um i don't know well well we'll have to get there you know we'll have to get there what I mean, this is a little more silly, but what house do you guys think you'd be in? Well, Wes, why don't you start that one off, buddy? <laughs> I, I think I've I've voted for Hufflepuff for myself. Uh, why, why Why would you say Hufflepuff? I mean, I suppose I could say a couple words in support of that. Yeah. Well, I just feel like they get uh, so little respect in the course of the story. They seem <laughs> like the humblest of the houses in, in most regards. Um and I like the idea of, of diligence and loyalty and kindness being kind of uh, that. That's how I at least hope that my basic nature really is. So, I think you know, what's interesting about that, too, is that the Hufflepuffs and the Slytherin sort of occupy the same space because yeah. just as uh, badgers, which is the image of a Hufflepuff burrow underground, so do snakes. And in sure. fact, I believe in Hogwarts, uh, I know that the Slytherin house, which we get to go to, is down in the cellars. I believe that the, the Hufflepuffs are also downstairs near the kitchens. I think so, yeah. um, And so they're sort of a representation of, like, Hestia. And, uh, I'm always like, near uh, food, if I can. Yeah, 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 that's, that, 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 that is true. You cannot eat anybody I've ever met. And <laughs> you are very trustworthy <laughs> and loyal, too, because you've done a lot of these podcasts, and you keep trugging along. And so maybe what makes you so good at eating food and and doing podcasts is that loyal, loyal streak in you. And I mean, you were just rooting for Uruguay and you were, you were, you lived there, what, I think around what, 10 years ago, eight years ago almost, now? Yeah, almost a decade now. And oh, they're All right. So, yeah, Sarah, what do you think you would be in? Well, I don't know. I have a hard time placing myself. Um, I mean, uh, you know, actually, Wes, um, J.K. Rowling has said that um, she thinks the Hufflepuffs are the best and that if she, if she could sort her children into one, she'd want them to be in Hufflepuffs. Um, I, I think, um, like, 
my better angels, if I were like the best version of myself all the time, I think I would be in Hufflepuff. But I think the truth is, um, I'm probably not, not, um, I'm not kind enough. I don't think to be in, in Hufflepuff. I think, um, there's a, there's like a, uh, I don't know. I, cause I, I don't see myself in Slytherin and I don't say that just because, uh, I, they're the villains, but I just don't see myself as ambitious. Um, and I don't think I, I like crave, nor do I enjoy wielding power. Um, I, I, I want to say like Ravenclaw, but I also, I also like, am not, I don't know. I don't, I don't consider that like wisdom as a primary pursuit. Mm-hmm. Like to your point earlier, Alex, if, if we boil it down to four things, wisdom, power, courage, and maybe um, loyalty or I would I would go with like kindness or generosity. I guess I might belong in Hufflepuff, but <laughs> I don't see myself as really that wise or brave or powerful. It's like Hufflepuff by default. Um, I know Sarah I've taken is the all houses. Quiz, but... Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I've taken the Pottermore quiz. I made my students do that as like a second semester seniors you know they're not really interested in anything else um and i think they they tell you that you can be a hybrid and no. i think i was a hybrid <laughs> huffle door or like griffin's no. or something like that gosh chimeras yeah it's like we were... but i don't know what do you think alex what do you think well, it's, I, I, well it sounds like you were sort of hovering around being a gryffindor but you wish you had the heart to be a hufflepuff and so yeah. if i were like your sorting hat i i'd be like hmm yeah it's probably a gryffindor uh hmm. or something like that but um i don't know with me it's interesting because i feel like i've been accused of being slytherin before but i think there's a there's a fine and i've i've had to think about this quite a bit at this point now uh, because I used to identify as a Gryffindor and identified for some time as a Slytherin because of a particular uh, college party I went to that was Harry Potter themed. But, <laughs> but now I think it's probably Gryffindor again because I think what, because I care more about the game and competing than winning the game necessarily or, or, or even the game ending. And that's something that I think that the Slytherins can miss in their attempt to bring about victory or domination, they can destroy the game. They can take it out of equilibration. I think uh, quite a bit of Lucius Malfoy. It's like Lucius wants to bring about the Dark Lord again because he thinks he will be even safer and have even more power then. But it turns out that he has all the power he has precisely because of the system he finds himself in now. He has all these protections. He's a noble. He has everything. There's no reason for him to want uh, the Dark Lord to come back so that when he uses these means and it's not him that brings Voldemort back but when he supports him he also supports the force that destroys the system that has given him everything that he has and so Mm. that's something I appreciate more about like a Gryffindor more about like say a game than like say a street fight that it's not just about proving domination or winning but about expressing skill and adapting to the situation Mm. within the rules in a way that enables you to continue to play such a game over and over again with, with variations over time. And I think 
that that's sort of what the Gryffindors are about. That's why they have a sword. And the sword be, is also itself a symbol of the logos or the intellect. And the, the logos or the intellect is developed by encountering problems. And so they strike me as the most sporting or adventurous of the... They definitely are characterized as the most athletic, yeah. but also Where, sporting. Whereas, yeah. yeah, I see Hufflepuffs as being able to create a tremendous atmosphere. Like you want to go to a Hufflepuff's home because they're going to have warm cookies and soft things to sit on. And they're going to they're gonna ask you questions about yourself that you're going to want to answer because it's going to make you feel good. And Slytherin's going to have nice things, but you're not necessarily going to be able to trust their integrity or whether they have good faith with you or Malfoy, as you were teaching us. And, and then mm-hmm. uh, um, I, and I often encountered this because I grew up going to magnet schools and was in honors programs and like you two uh, have a master's degree and teach. Uh, I... I value wisdom tremendously, but as it's applied in the world in an embodied way, the idea of like, say, being a librarian or a bookshop owner, there's something I like about it, but there's also something dusty about it. Something that's just not suited to my active temperament. It's a, which is, I I would say also why I find myself as sort of a hybrid podcaster and teacher and not scholar uh, at a university as well, that there are, I, I prefer the idea of the Indiana Jones than to the Stephen Hawking or Noam Chomsky for that matter. Um, and so uh, I thought about that a lot. And yeah, so I, I just, and I even like wearing red too. I have red shoes on right now and a red shirt. <laughs> and I'm sitting in front of Carl's, yeah. the red, Carl Jung's the red a, book. That's a, really, that's a really good distillation. Not the more that you describe it, I do not see myself as a Gryffindor. Hmm. Well, that's only my perception of it too. That might not uh, be how it is for everybody, because you know, I mean, I mean, think I, of Neville. I do like, I do like your the, your description of. I definitely like the pursuit of truth, but not in a vacuum. I'm not. I don't see myself in academia. Um, I think it, it's utility is. Definitely, I'm, I'm more interested in how the pursuit of truth or wisdom can be applied. I really liked that idea, like prudence as an important question. But I don't know. I don't know that I want to be known as somebody who is, uh, um, I, I don't know. Brave is not something that I, I aim for. Um, I don't know. Well, I'm not convinced. Well, maybe we'll learn. Well, so just like a. Just like a, a terrible teacher like all of us in the terrible class and terrible conversation is we're left with more questions at the end than at the beginning. Not only do we still not know our name, house Sarah Miller is in. And so I, would, I was wondering for next time, y'all, whether you wanted to take on a slighter, slightly bigger chunk only because the next four chapters are all really interesting introductions. So we have, we have the Potions Master, eight nine the midnight duel and those are pretty short 10 halloween which i really want to see and i would stop there but 11 is quidditch yeah sounds good yeah and so uh we can hash out the further details but i would think tuesday or wednesday next week would be great unless we have any travel plans going on sounds good or anything else yeah it was another wonderful conversation with you too another wonderful passage to go down another wonderful flavor of the birdies, <laughs> bots, 
uh, Hagrid's pockets, many passages of Harry Potter <laughs> that we find ourselves in. I wonder what the taste was today. Uh, uh, hopefully it was refreshing. So maybe there's some elements of mint or some, something, something tasty in there. Hmm. Strawberry mint. Yeah. Let's go with that. Mm. Strawberry mint? Okay. Speaking of hybrids. All right. Well, until, <laughs> until next time. Talk to you all soon. Okay. All right. Take it Later. easy. See ya.